Hey folks, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you'll get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run, but how to win. I'm Martin Diego Garcia. And I'm Joe Fold. And you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of How to Win a Campaign. On the last episode, we discussed deciding to run with Jason Kander. So make sure you check it out. Yeah, it was definitely a really great interview. And today we're talking about all things ballot measure campaigns. We'll be discussing how to actually get started on a ballot measure campaign, what you should consider as you put together your campaign and how to get it on the ballot. And we're also going to hopefully be dispelling some ballot measure myths and talk about how to build a winning ballot measure campaign with our friends over at the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. But Joe, first, what should groups or organizations be considering before they actually decide to jump in and really run an aggressive ballot measure campaign? Well, I like to think about measures as a last resort. You want to think legislatively first. You want to figure out if you can come up with a solution that doesn't involve getting a measure on the ballot. And there's a reason for that, right? A legislative campaign is cheaper. It's easier to engage your core constituencies than having to go to the entire community to reach out to them. And you need to have a plan and a timeline and really think through the process. But legislative first, then ballot measure. But often what happens is you can't move something legislatively. So then you have to go to the ballot. But don't rush You want to make sure you take your time, work with your coalition, and really think through the process. Yeah, there there should be a long time for consideration on go or no go on a ballot measure campaign. And we do have a blog about that on our our blog at thecampaignworkshop.com if you want to dive in deeper there. But Joe, once a group has decided to move forward with a ballot measure campaign, they've decided it's their best option. We know that qualifying for a ballot measure is no easy task. What are some tips for starting a successful ballot measure campaign? Sometimes, I would say oftentimes, the most difficult part of a ballot measure campaign is just thinking about the measure itself and getting it on the ballot. People forget that to get a measure on the ballot, especially if you're talking about a statewide ballot measure, can be gathering hundreds of thousands of signatures. There will be likely many legal hurdles And you really need to think through this. This is a sizable investment of people, time, and money. And you really have to have an organized effort to get something on the ballot. It just doesn't usually magically appear. And as you can see, there's a lot of things that you just have to think through. Another tip is that legal process. There is a special subset of the world of election law that is just around ballot measures and making sure that you've done your petitions correctly, that the language is correct, that the language has been vetted legally and can pass legal muster is a huge part of this um, and really important. And we didn't even get into paid petition gathering, which is its own morass. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I'll add to that, Joe, is I think polling is another critical step when it comes to ballot measure campaigns, because what polling helps you do is, one, it takes resources, right? And so you have to be able to have the money in order to run a pretty decent poll for a ballot measure campaign, because you want to figure out a couple of things with your poll. It's going to allow you to make an informed decision on whether or not the investment is going to be worth 
the reward here because it'll give you a sense of where does your community and your voters, your state stand on this issue? It'll give you sort of a benchmark of, is there a path here? And is the path large enough to pass muster and and have an actual shot at winning this campaign? But it's also a really great way for you to start testing ballot measure language and get a sense of how people are responding to it, how they see it, any changes that need to be made in the ballot measure language. Because unlike a candidate campaign where the candidate is the person that the voters see, in a ballot measure, it's really the language on the ballot that really decides whether or not the voter is going to go with you or against you in this campaign. So ballot measure language is really, really important here. The last thing I'll say here is looking holistically at the timeline for a ballot measure campaign. Unlike a candidate campaign where you decide to run, you run your campaign, and then you get elected to office, right? A ballot measure campaign can sometimes take years or a couple of different cycles before you're actually there. So you want to make sure that you have enough time and money to be in it for the long haul, to do the research, to run the campaign, and then plan for implementation. Yeah. And what I'll also say, I mean, going back to the first part that you talked about, that once that poll comes back where you've tested language, that go or no go discussion is a big deal. Again, we've written about this, but it is so important for you to sit down as a group to really make the decision, okay, now that we have the poll back that has tested our language, should we really move forward? You really have to recognize the difference between hard support and soft support. There's hard support, which is the people who will vote for your ballot measure no matter what. And then there's soft support, which they may want to support you and they may support the opposition and either lean towards your measure, but be persuaded. And so you really need to make sure that there's enough people within your community that are going to support this ballot measure. The ones that usually win are the ones that have tested their measures, their ballot measure language ahead of time and are really going to win without a fight once it gets on the ballot. So you need to make sure that you have crafted the language in a way that really gets you where you need to go. And often there is that hard discussion, but groups make a decision, hey, it's not the right time to put this on the ballot or we need to change our ballot language before we go on the ballot because it's just not good enough. It's not going to get us where we want to go. So some things to think about. The other piece of this, and Martine, I want you to talk about this, is talk about the role that coalitions play in a ballot measure. Yeah, coalitions are really, really important. And our folks at the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center know this all too well, and I'm sure will give us some insights in the interview. But they're really important because even though ballot measures are a citizen initiative process, that a citizen can be involved in the election process, right, and and in the uh, legislative process, you don't want to do this by yourself. Having coalitions and building coalitions allows you to do a couple of things. It expands your resources and your reach. So coalescing with other groups and organizations brings in people, money, if you start early, time, right? And they can also be really trusted messengers for the audiences who are part of your base, whether they're the hard support or that soft support Joe talked about. You want to find those community leaders, those trusted messengers who people would relate to based on the issue that you're talking about. What they can also do is bring in some expertise in maybe some potential different lanes. Maybe your organization is a grassroots organization and you really know how to rally volunteers and get them calling voters and knocking on doors, but maybe you're not really great in the press or traditional communication space. So you may want to bring in a group or an organization who has that expertise and can run that side of the campaign for you so that you're all running your different pieces and running a really holistic campaign as a coalition. 
But what I'll also say is make sure that you have very clear rules and responsibilities set out. Most of these are done through a memorandum of understanding or an MOU and really give folks a definition of or an expectation of what their roles and responsibilities are as being part of said coalition so that everybody is on the same page and understanding what they are responsible for throughout the duration of the campaign. I think that coalition piece is so important. You want to think about not just the coalition you have, but the coalition that you want. Think about non-traditional allies. And Martine, as you said, think about that funding piece, right? You really need to make sure that your funders and your coalition members are bought in, that if you can have coalition members that are not funders, but again, it's making clear that it's a part of that MOU, who is doing what as a part of that coalition. So all really important. So get ready, because after the break, we're going to be hearing from Corinne Mila Alayubi and Marsha Donay from the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center as they talk with Martine about all things ballot measures. And we're back. Today, we have a super special interview because we are joined by three staffers from the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center's team, also known as BISC, um, who we are super excited to have on today's episode. BISC's mission is to strengthen democracy by implementing a national progressive strategy for ballot measures. Mila Alalyubi is the Strategic Partnerships Director and has over 15 years of experience as a political scientist and practitioner. Marsha Donay is the Capacity Building Director and has worked directly with state and national partners to build campaigns within the ballot measure field. And finally, Corinne Rivera-Fowler is the Policy and Legal Advocacy Director, where she leads BISC's policy development and oversees their ballot integrity program. Thank you all for joining us on what is a super important episode for our listeners to hear. Yes, We know that the ballot measure process actually right now is a little bit under attack, but before we sort of jump into the weeds, let's start at the beginning. Um, Corinne, can you talk to our listeners about what is a ballot measure or initiative and why are they so important in today's political climate? Sure. So thanks so much for having us. Um, In the simplest terms, a ballot measure is a tool that a voter can use to propose a policy change. Ballot initiatives can be used directly by voters in 24 states. The initiative enables folks to bypass their state legislature by placing a proposed statute or in some states, a constitutional amendment on the ballot. The supporters of the ballot initiative have a chance to gather the specific number of signatures to qualify the measure. And these measures have real and immediate impacts on people's lives. You know, in in recent elections, we've begun to see progressive policies like minimum wage increases, Medicaid expansion, paid sick leave, and voter restoration policies passing in red, blue, and purple states. And the thing is, is that these legislators in these states are refusing to take action on these important issues. And so, so many communities are taking matters into their own hands and running ballot measures. Definitely. And for organizations, groups and and citizens really to think about as an opportunity for them to directly engage in the democratic process. Marsha, going back to you, can you talk to us a little bit about what should people be thinking about when they're deciding they want to actually run a ballot measure campaign? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of factors that folks need to consider. Um, As we've said, ballot measures are quite resource intensive, time that you need to invest in your people. I mean, you know, depending on your state, they could be quite expensive. And so you want to make sure that what you're building is being built to last. And so 
we want to start off with thinking about what do we want to do? What are the policy organizing and narrative opportunities or threats in your state? What are you trying to achieve? How are you building with the folks that are impacted by these issues? What do people need? And what are the solutions that they see? And then how can we build policy solutions, organizing opportunities and narrative development to support that work over the long term? And then from there, you decide if a ballot measure is the right tool. I mean, there's a number of political levers we can pull to achieve change. And so you need to determine what is going to be your best path to success. And for many folks, the reason they go to the ballot measure is because it is the only path forward. Maybe they can't move something through the legislature or they can't go bold enough in the legislature. And so they're going to take the issue directly to the voters. And then we also see that folks will utilize the ballot measure process to leverage movement in the legislature as well. And then when you get to the point of, yes, we want to do a ballot measure, this is what we want to do, then you need to figure out if you have what it takes to be successful. And so that looks like doing research and polling to understand if you have the support of the electorate, if you have the right messaging to build that support and keep folks engaged and motivated to turn out for your issue, right? There's also looking at your coalition um, and the capacity folks have. Like, do we have the people talent that we need to be successful this year? Do we have the financial resources we need to not only move our work forward, but invest in the organizations doing this work to be able to come out at the end stronger than they came in? And then you also need to think about the impact that you're going to have, not just um, if you are successful, but also thinking about what impact losing might have on the organizations, on the people who are impacted, right? Is this your one and only chance? If so, then you need to be really thoughtful about having the resources and the time that you need to build for success. Um, and just because you decide that a ballot measure doesn't move forward in the current cycle, that doesn't mean it will never move forward. What that could mean is that you need to invest in your organizing power, your messaging and narrative, and maybe even look at your policy opportunities again and see if you can build and create the conditions for success down the road. And then I just want to say one of the things that is really important is not just like can we win, but how will we win? We talk about the our expanded definition of winning a lot. So that is, you know, yes, we want to pass the policy. We want to win the campaign, right? Get 50 plus one on election day or in the case of Florida, 60 plus one. But we also want to do more than that, right? Yes, we want to pass the policy, but we want to leave our organizations, our communities, our people stronger than when we came in, right? So what are our goals around organizing power? How are we going to be able to leverage our efforts in the future for either protecting this policy, going bolder in the future, moving something new? Who are we centering in this work? How are those who are most impacted by the, these issues, most impacted by this policy, going to be part of the decision making? How are their voices going to be centered and in a real way, in a transformational way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with any campaign, right, I think that it's always a good reminder to say there is a lot of planning to be done on the front end. And you want to make sure that you are diligent and intentional about all of the planning through election and post-election, right? Corinne, can you talk to us about how individuals might be able to find ballot measure regulations in their own localities? 
Yeah, so generally you can just access your ballot measure regulations on your Secretary of State website. There's usually a section that says elections and voting. Some states have a really nice comprehensive guide to placing a measure to on the statewide ballot. And the guides, you know, explain the entire process from drafting the language, getting the language reviewed and approved. They'll tell you about the possible legal challenges and legal entities that you face during the language drafting and approval process. I just want to say that in some states, this information is actually harder to find and it's less comprehensive and it's really more difficult to understand. Generally speaking, if the Secretary of State is not friendly to the initiative process, they have the power to make it harder to access this information. And we see this in states like Arizona, where you really have to hunt down all these details that I just talked about. And you have to go through multiple web pages and read through the actual state constitution or the law itself and try to understand that. And so it really depends on how the Secretary of State wants to provide that information to the voters and whether or not it's easy or hard to find. Absolutely, which is why the ballot initiative process is one strategy into making sure that our elected officials are also on the same page that we are exactly. <laughs> using candidate campaigns. Mila, can you talk about how should folks approach developing and using the correct language that they want to put on the ballot that voters are gonna read? There's two things to think about when you talk about like what language you want to put on the ballot, right? Because each ballot will have your technical language that will be statute or embedded in the Constitution, which is very like legal focused. And you need lots and lots of attorneys and, and experts on that language. You also need experts on all the rest of it, too. But they're the, the title and the summary, which is what voters will see. There's a lot more messaging strategy that is part of that. So when we're thinking about how to develop language, it's very much a mix between messaging and policy. Now, how to start developing your language, I believe, I think we all here at this, we continue to talk about directly impacted people leading this work. And one of the most instrumental ways of leading this work is by starting your policy development in your community. We have found that when policies are rooted in community, they do better uh, on the ballot, they're more impactful and they engage more people. So you do a lot of research, but you wanna make sure three main things. One is, is it legal constitutional, right? Because you wanna avoid any legal challenges before, during and after as much as possible. To that point for the after, the best implementation strategy is to front load your implementation strategy at the beginning and embed it in your actual language to try to preempt the attacks that they're gonna to try to do. The legislature is going to try to alter your implementation. Therefore, doing as much as you can on the front end is like really critical. And then the third component is, like I said before, the messaging strategy. There are certain words and phrases that can turn people off. So it's really important to do a lot of research on that and not just like the wonky, you know, political consultant firm research, but like in the field, like talking to people, all different kinds of people on this, like informal, formal research, helping to refine the language. Super, super helpful. Marsha, it can be hard to launch a ballot initiative by yourself, although not impossible. But how important is coalition building toward a successful ballot measure campaign? Yeah, you can do it yourself. Um, but should you? 
probably not. Even if you have all the money in the world because ballot measure campaigns are about issues and about the coalition. The strength of your coalition is the most important factor here. It is clear that campaigns with stronger coalitions are more likely to win. That your coalition is part of allowing you to build a collaborative strategy so that way those who are impacted by these issues are at the center of the policy making or at the center of decision making. I mean, you want to have diverse perspectives in your leadership team so that you're more likely to craft a smarter strategy. There are so many pieces to ballot measure campaigns that having a mix of folks with di those different types of talents is really important to your success. Coalitions also allow you to maximize resources. You can pool resources, whether that be having organizations in-kind staff to your campaign, or maybe there's more volunteer power. Maybe it's things like email lists, so you can reach more people. I mean, your campaign will be stronger if you're able to maximize and streamline those resources. And then coalitions allow you to think and plan long-term, you know, beyond election day for just that campaign. And many of the most successful campaign coalitions have been together and working on similar issues for years leading into this. Absolutely right. The more folks we have, the, the, the larger our impact and the larger our reach is going to be. Yeah. And then the last thing on coalitions is it's not just about getting the right people in place, but it's also about getting the right structures in place and systems. If you don't have the right systems in place to establish transparent decision-making structures and feedback loops, it won't matter who was engaged. The trust and functionality of your coalition, which is key to your success, will fall apart. So you wanna start by building at the front end who is going to be engaged and then working together to build a transparent system that's going to help make decisions together and also make sure that you're living into your values um, and living up to that expanded definition of winning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mila, ballot measures have been a way for citizens to really engage in the democratic process, right? Can you talk to us about what the impact of ballot measures can be in moving toward a more equitable space within our communities, within our states, within the country? Yeah, absolutely. And this really goes off of what Marsha was just talking about, about these equitable structures and systems and the research we've done here at this. So it's been, what, three cycles now of campaign evaluations and debriefs, right? And what we found from 2018 and 2020 was that campaigns that had a transactional model where they just come in, build up, you know, short-term goals of winning and then leave, like that structure has a lot of negative impacts on the strength of the win and the ability to implement, defend against attacks and build future wins. When you do the transformational model, which really is rooted in the expanded definition of the win, which is around obviously 50 plus one, centering and following directly impacted people's lead, and then really building long-term, durable, sustainable grassroots infrastructure. You do those three things together, and you're limitless in terms of even when you fail, you fail forward, right, when you use that model. We, we created a guide that's called the Declaration of Equity and Accountability in Ballot Measure Campaigns. So this guide, really, it goes across all 12 aspects uh, of a ballot measure process of the campaign, from planning conception to research to data 
to organizing. It literally takes every single aspect you need in order to succeed. And within each of these things, we've identified from our partners on the ground multiple examples of what basically white supremacy practices look like in campaigns. And then we give the principle that we are striving to dismantle and then the actual practices that our folks on the ground have experimented with, and they're not even experiments anymore, they're like actual practices that they do every campaign cycle to disrupt these things. For example, deciding how much money between pay comms to white swing voters versus organizing and relational tactics in grassroots communities where directly impacted people are with very high support, but maybe lower engagement in voting. And like, what does it look like to actually invest in that community more than the other? Or who are we going to choose as our vendors, right? Like, are we going to choose people from Black and Latinx communities uh, who are community-run businesses? Are we going to use national partners that many of the privileged white male policy shops oftentimes end up using over and over and over again so we can never break open the market for our people on the ground who are local? There's like so many examples that we can see. Um, and then there's this whole idea around healing justice and how much of our talent we lose from campaigns that are run in a transactional way because we don't allow our people to be human and regenerate and have time off and do self-care and people burn out. And every single cycle, we lose people out of the movement because we treat them like robots that have no feelings and no limitations. And that's just not okay, right? And, and we're doing ourselves a disservice because these are some brilliant minds that we're losing from fatigue and from continued trauma and re-traumatizing of ourselves in the progressive community. Like we're here fighting for all of this stuff for all these voters, but we're subjecting ourselves to the same practices internally as, as an ecosystem. And so hopefully this guide, more folks will be able to utilize it it permeates throughout all of the ways that we interact with one another. So that's what we're trying to do here at BIS to help shift culture. I love that. I love that. And I hope our listeners are really seriously considering what it looks like to turn from a transactional model of running campaigns or even just engaging in this industry, right, to a much more transformative space where we are working together as a community, right? So we definitely know that living through the pandemic has really forced many of us to um, really lean into our ability to adapt. So Marcia, can you talk a little bit about with COVID-19, were there any particular ways in which things have changed and, and specifically in, in gathering signatures since those were mostly done in person in order to launch a ballot initiative? What types of tactics did you see used or changed and do you anticipate any of those continuing on to future campaigns? I would say a lot of the adaptations are things that folks had been thinking about or been recommending for years and they needed to just be implemented. Having to collect signatures through a pandemic um, and continuing to have to collect signatures through a pandemic definitely accelerated some of these adaptations that were a little bit more slow moving. Um, one of which is the idea of layering your communications. You actually want to do that throughout your ballot measure process, not just during signature collection. But what we saw work really well was Arizona's Prop 208 campaign, the Invest in Ed campaign, would gather their lists. They would send a text message or make a phone call to households, um, letting folks know that someone's going to be in your neighborhood collecting signatures 
on this date and this time. So if you get a knock on the door, don't worry, but please sign the petition. And then they would have their canvassers out fully decked out with PPE, protective, personal protective equipment. They would knock on the door, stand six feet back, and then have giving them the opportunity to sign the petition. Um, and then they would follow that up again with another point of contact to say, thank you for signing this. This is how you can get engaged in the campaign. And that layering helps build momentum and not only engage your volunteers and your folks in collecting these signatures, but engage the voters in the entire process. Another really successful thing we saw was utilizing vehicles for various signature gathering efforts. So again, Arizona, Prop 208, they also set up what they called remote signature vehicles. Volunteers would take their cars and they would set up a petition signing quote unquote booth in their trunks. And again, let folks know when they were going to be in certain neighborhoods and people could come up and they could sign in the back of the trunk so you didn't have to have contact with folks. We also saw um, in Alaska, some some folks did efforts to do a drive through signature gathering. So they set up in a large parking lot, like a superstore or grocery store or something, and they would set up these petition gathering drives, advertise it um, as like an opportunity for folks to come. And then people would drive through, um, they would be handed the petition. Again, volunteers decked out in personal protective equipment, standing six feet back, and the driver would sign it and hand it back. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that I think of the pandemic, and you all know this too, right, has pushed all of us to just get creative, which I love because very often, as Mila talked about, right, we're hiring the same folks doing the same things over and over again, and assuming that as the times change, as the narrative changes, as society changes, the same tactics that worked 10 years ago are going to work today, and they're not, right? Yeah. And so I think the pandemic has really pushed a lot of organizers, campaign folks, folks on the ground to really think outside the box of how do we adapt and then utilize those uh, those opportunities in future campaigns so that now we're marriaging what worked before and what now works to hopefully grow our reach and grow our impact. And so I love that. Exactly. And it's more than just signature gathering too, right? We saw those more adaptations throughout the campaign process. I mean, the ability to hold meetings remotely expanded who could be engaged in the coalition and made more opportunities for folks to to engage, right? You no longer had to drive two hours, three hours to get to a meeting across the state. Or maybe, you know, and a lot of times meetings were held later or at different times in the day. So if you had, you know, kids in school or no access to childcare, that there were other opportunities to engage. So that working remotely was also beneficial. And then the other one, of course, is Martine, as you were talking about the ability to invest in more online strategies and build up those skill sets. And what we want to do is keep investing in both online and offline organizing. Now, over the next few months as we're getting ready for 2022, so that way we are, our organizations, our campaigns are prepared and able to pivot on a dime if needed again, or also to be able to make sure that we're reaching people in the ways that, in the ways that their communities receive information, right? For some groups, canvassing is the way to engage them more deeply. For others, it may be um, setting up a social media group and getting influencers to talk about your issue. We need to be able to do both. Our opposition is doing both, and we need to be able to match them. And, and that's what we do best. 
as progressives is we organize. And so we need to make sure that we can do that in whatever form makes sense and evolves with the times. Definitely. The constant repeat of the drum, right, is, is meeting voters where they're at, right? Like, how do we meet our communities where they are to give them the information they need to make the informed decision? When it comes to 2022 and beyond, right, as we're looking forward, Corinne, could you talk to us about what does the future of ballot measures look like in this next cycle and beyond? So we're seeing a ton of democracy-related measures filed for 2022, Um, actually 59 measures so far, which is a huge number. Voting access and elections administrations are on the top of minds. And we're seeing both voting attacks and then some voting opportunities. And so in some states, you know, requiring voter ID or cutting down the polling places or taking away um, your early access to voting. In other states, we're seeing automatic voter registration or same-day voter registration, or making sure that you have no excuse absentee voting. So it's all over the map, whether folks are trying to expand voting access or take it away, but it's definitely democracy on the agenda. Um, And then we're also seeing a tremendous number of initiative process initiatives. And so ballot measures actually being under attack in these states where we are passing progressive policy and having success. So we're seeing increased passage thresholds for ballot measures. Arkansas is trying to make it 60%. We're seeing, you know, increased voter passage thresholds in South Dakota will be on the ballot to try to block Medicaid expansion from becoming law. We're seeing ballot measure in Arizona that's going to try to give the legislature the ability to amend ballot language after it's approved by voters. So there's a lot of ballot initiative and uh, process on the ballot, which is uh, a new and rising trend, the attacks to direct democracy um, within our democracy. And then in the future, we're really like looking to our partners and talking with them long-term about doing bolder structural reform and, and taking, you know, more action towards economic justice and restoring our rights and, you know, breaking down the um, prison industrial complex in real ways. And so, you know, we've made progress in past cycles, very recent cycles around, you know, systemic change and we're, or we're making progress and raising minimum wages and expanding health care, but we really need universal health care. We really need true access to housing and wages that allow us to be self-sufficient. $15 an hour just really isn't enough anymore. So let's think about what self-sufficiency is around our nation and raise those wages. You know, we have an elder, an aging population, a silver tsunami. And what does elder care look like in our nation? And what about those caregivers that are providing the care? Are they working in employment opportunities that are providing benefits and that are providing protection? So, you know, the people who care for our children and our elderly population should be in economically just workforce as well and protected and have wages and benefits that are giving them the ability to live their best lives. So we're pushing our state partners to think about their long-term efforts um, beyond 2022 and get a 
a little bit more bold and challenge the authorities in their state by running um, progressive measures. And we've got a lot of plans coming up. But next year, it's democracy on the ballot. And we will continue to see that um, democracy under attack and democracy opportunities ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a super informative conversation, and I'm sure our listeners at the very least understand how they could potentially use uh, the ballot measure system um, if it is, if it makes sense for your campaign uh, in a way to move us to, toward a more equitable country. Um, so thank you all for sharing your insights and for the work that you all do over uh, at BISC. Uh, and thank you for joining us today. To find out more about the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center, you can go to ballot.org and connect with them, check out the resources, see what they're tracking, see what ballot initiatives are on on the ballot near you, uh, and get more information on how you can get involved with them. Uh, But thank you all again so much, and uh, we'll be right back. Wow, Martine, that was a lot. Great insights from the team over at Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. Martine, what were your highlights? Definitely. They are a, such a great team over there. And we've had the honor of working with them on a couple of different projects and are just some really brilliant women who are running that organization over there. So super excited to have them on this episode. What I really appreciated was their simplistic explanation of what a ballot measure is and why it is so important in today's political climate. I mean, it's really an opportunity that gives citizens a voice in what is this never-ending divided landscape we seem to have, whether you're working on the state level or the federal level, it allows for citizens and community members to really put on the ballot what is most important to them um, and in the way in which they would like it seen taken action on. And so I really appreciated their explanation of how ballot measures fit in within the political landscape. I think they also really hit some important points on how to launch a ballot initiative and the importance for coalition building for a successful ballot measure. We talked about this earlier, but you have to decide when you're bringing folks into your coalition, what is the decision making power hierarchy look like? Just because an organization comes in with a good bit of resources or a good bit of money doesn't mean that they're the ones who should be making all the shots. You want to make sure that you're constantly thinking about and centering the folks who are mostly impacted by the ballot measure that you all are running and making sure that those folks are also at the decision-making table and that their voice and their decisions are, are weighted as highly as some of these larger groups and organizations, right? Because We are doing this work for them, and they are the ones who are going to benefit from the work that we're doing in the ballot measure process. And so we need to make sure that their voices are included there. But I also appreciate that they reiterated that there are definitely a lot of moving pieces when it comes to planning a successful ballot initiative. So first and foremost, know the rules in your area or your state when it comes to getting on the ballot, when it comes to collecting signatures, when it comes to legally challenging them. There are a lot of rules that go with getting on the ballot and then ensuring that your ballot is successful. So make sure you know what those are. And do the due diligence on the front end to really plan out that full life cycle of the campaign from research to the actual campaign to signature gathering and then post election right into implementation and make sure that you're actually holding the elected officials accountable who are meant to implement the actual ballot initiative are doing what is meant to be done based on the initial campaign. So a lot of work to do, but some really successful ways in engaging constituents, communities and citizens in the democratic process. But Joe, what did you take away from the interview? First, what I'll say is ballot measures are a great way for citizens to engage in the democratic process and can help move toward creating more equitable spaces. 
But I want to reiterate that you got to remember that it takes a lot of community work to get a measure on the ballot. And you should think legislatively first, if you can at all possible, move something legislatively. But this takes time. It takes a plan. All of those things were in the interview, which is awesome. Also, COVID-19 and the pandemic have impacted and will continue to change the process of launching a ballot measure and engaging in a ballot measure. And so that is going to continue to change, and you have to watch that a lot. There are also current attacks on the ballot measure process, and you need to keep up to date on the changes that are happening to ballot measures. Whether this is a local ballot measure or a statewide ballot measure, the process that it is going on today may not be the same a year from now or two years from now. And then the other piece that I think is really important about ballot measures is there are good ones and bad ones. We like many of the progressive ballot measures that are on the ballot. We like a lot of the health-oriented ballot measures that have been out there, but we have also fought against many ballot measures like anti-choice ballot measures. There are so many types of ballot measures out there and both as a voter and as an activist or as someone that is part of an organization, you really need to spend time tracking these measures and figuring out how you engage both for them and against them. And that is really important. Absolutely. And if you are interested in tracking those, whether they're progressive ones that we want to support or the ones that we are on the defense, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center does that at ballot.org. They are tracking any and all ballot measures that are coming through the um, electoral, electoral process. So be sure to check that out, what's going on in your state. But that is a wrap for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any specific questions or comments about ballot measure campaigns, feel free to contact us using the social media and email in the show description. On our next episode, we'll be talking about consultant choices with Mary Hughes of Close the Gap California. In the meantime, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Martin Diego Garcia. And Joe Fold breaking down how to win a campaign.